Hello and welcome to another episode of Total Reboot New Releases Reviews. This week on the podcast, we are talking about the new blockbuster motion picture based on a freaking video game. It is Uncharted, starring Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg. My name is Alexi Toliopoulos, and joining me on this new releases review episode is one of my dearest friends, podcaster and comedian Jen Fricker. How are you doing today? I'm so good. I'm so excited to chat with you about this movie. Me too. Uh, we saw it together last night. We have not decompressed on how we feel about this movie just yet. So why don't we dive straight into the adventure that is Uncharted. There are places out there you can't find on any map. They're not gone. They're just lost. So we all know that these movies are based on the highly successful video games uh, in the Uncharted series from PlayStation and Naughty Dog. This film is a new adventure with Nathan Drake, who begins his life as like a rapscallion teenager uh, with his brother doing little adventures. They love the idea of history and how history intersects with like relics and stuff. They are relic hunters. They are tomb raiders. And uh, this follows Nathan Drake, now played by Tom Holland, as he is brought into a mission from Mark Wahlberg where they must find a lost treasure of two galleons or whatever, bunch of gold and stuff like that. Pirate booty. Pirate booty, indeed. Uh, Jen Fricker, you've played these video games. Like me, you love them. Does this movie capture any kind of the magic that those games have? I think the best things about those games is that they feel like you are interacting and playing and living in a great adventure movie like Indiana Jones or Romancing mm. the Stone. Does this movie capture any of that magic? Um. <laughs> long pause. A long, long pause. pause there. Look, there's definitely moments in this movie where I'm like, man, this would be so sick to play. Mm. Like, I... No. For me, this did not capture any of the things. I mean, yeah, like you're saying... What I find engaging and fun about the games is that it is like high adventure. Mm -hmm. It's really putting you in the boots of this kind of, yeah, archetypal figure, like an Indiana Jones type of thing. Like it's so out of your realm of reality as a person. And that's, I think, why it's so fun. Like it's, it's not trying to say anything. It's not trying to be anything beyond what it is. Just like a swashbuckling adventure. Um I don't know what this movie was trying to be and I don't know who it was for other than like people who like Tom Holland. There's no level of immersion, I guess. The the games immerse you. The games, you believe in it. You believe in the structure of that world. You believe in um, that these treasures are out there and they're just waiting for you to find them and the puzzles are hard, but they're like really engaging. And this was like... It took all of that immersion, all of that suspension of disbelief, and it was like, here is Sony's next Tom Holland vi- uh, vehicle. And it just felt very cynical and not at all magical, mm. and it felt like it got noted to death. You know what I mean? It was just felt like it took the source material and it was like, okay, but we want to hit this demographic, and we have these kind of timelines and these kind of KPIs and like ROIs that we're trying to gain from this. You know, It just felt like pure corporate filmmaking at its absolute worst and it was a total bummer to walk out of that cinema afterwards um (laughs) 
And like obviously I knew, like I love video game adaptations mm. as well and I think you know and I love also like campy schlock too. Like I know that the director also directed like Venom and stuff. Like I don't mind like a bad movie either, but mm. this just felt soulless and airless and like no joy and it felt like every single actor in this was performing in isolation from one another. Like you couldn't tell me that Mark Wahlberg and Tom Holland were on the same set at the same time. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of an odd one, right? Because there are moments where I feel like this really does capture some aspect of the joy of the video game. Like, there's the video game is very set-piece based, um, and that is, like, exactly what an action-adventure movie should be. It should be about getting to those big set pieces and then really exploring something new and exciting with those set pieces. And this movie begins with a convention of the game where we have like a cold open about halfway or three quarters way through to the actual journey of the characters in the plot with a big set piece. So we kind of see Tom Holland as Nathan Drake flying outside of a plane that has like a cargo tail of like all the things flying out of the plane. And it's in the trailer. That whole set piece is in the trailer. It's in the trailer. And that's a convention of the games to begin with like one of these set pieces and then revisit it it later on. And I think that is the most successful translation of the game to the film where it you do feel that excitement seeing this set piece. It is nicely filmed. It is thrilling. It is something that you don't really... You haven't seen exactly that kind of thing in a movie before either. Um, you know, there's versions of it, but not something that's like as kind of fun like this um and as kind of like geographically planned out as this it's pretty it's a pretty good set piece and it is exciting and then i think it pays off really well when we revisit it later on in the movie with more of the context of what's going on and the context of what is happening from different points of view during that set piece no longer just from nathan's perspective that feels like a really good translation of the game i think it captures some of the essence of why these games feel so cinematic and what like a version of this being translated to a movie could be but i would say like the hardest i can come down on this movie is that it completely lacks any kind of the spirit of adventure this feels like a very safe by the numbers uh action blockbuster like down to the casting even i really feel like this is a weirdly miscast movie i think tom holland is a great young actor who has been doing some great stuff but i feel like there's kind of he's very clean cut and i think that clean cut nature works so well with him and peter parker but seeing him in something Mm. like this like you just want a little bit more grit you want a little bit more edge and mark Wahlberg, same kind of thing like you need a bit more grit you need a bit more edge you need that kind of swarthiness for like that criminal mentor someone who's like a high adventurer i think the swashbuckling is freaking left on the barbershop floor in this movie to be perfectly (laughs) honest Yeah, absolutely. Again, nothing against Tom Holland. And, you know, reading some of the reviews on Letterboxd, like after, uh, which of course is the only reviews I now (laughs) look at. But, you know, there are people who are not fans of the games and they're just fans of Tom Holland. And that's Mm. fine. And you'll get what you want. But like I'm saying, he's so clean cut. Like the movie at the beginning introduces us to him as a bartender at 
in New York City, and he and he does all the bar flair, the flipping the cocktail cups. Oh, you know, we love that cocktail stuff. Exactly, but first of all, it seems like a really dated way to make someone seem very savvy. You know, it really mm. feels like a uh, storytelling device from the nineties, like. This guy is a bartender, and New York has a thousand stories, and he knows every one mm-hmm. of them. Like, you know what I mean? Man, I'll tell you what. Seeing him do the flair, I was like, God damn, I wish this movie was made like 40 years ago with Tom Cruise oh my God. as oh Nathan my God. Drake. Exactly, exactly. Like, but it, he couldn't even sell that convincingly. Mm. And then and then later in the movie, there's this whole th- joke around how he just chugs wine. And it's like, this man's a connoisseur of drinks. He would know... Like, this is a very expensive, fancy wine. He wouldn't just be gunning it. I don't know. Like, it's just the movie doesn't back itself at mm. all. It doesn't back its own characters. I don't think it trusts the intelligence of the people who are fans of the game. You know what I mean? It really kind of... And it's weird because PlayStation produced this, right? Like, distribution by Sony, I think. But mm. it's a PlayStation production. And there's heaps of video game studios that are now branching into... Um, more kind of, yeah, like film and TV content. And, you know, we've seen it with the Witcher series on Netflix. Um, and flip side, you know, Annapurna Studios moving a lot into video games. Mm. Um, but so to treat the audience like we're just a bunch of slobbering idiots, I just like, oh, this really is someone's idea of what video game is like and how stories are told about cool guys. 20 years ago and you can almost see it in like the way that they have these big action sequences in the middle of these hugely populated metropolitan cities and yet no one's pulling out a phone to film a guy literally setting a bar on fire and then smashing into a wall like no there's no concern for like the police interrupting them it just exists in a world that has no stakes to it and i don't like any of the characters because they've been given no backstory and i'm just like i hate this and i hate you for making me watch it yeah well you hate me for making you watch this movie how dare you i hate no i I could never hate you wow (laughs) this is the closest we've come to blows i can feel it though but i really think that when i'm talking about like this movie like lacking the spirit of adventure it's not just like the film itself is not adventurous that is part of it like it is very clean but um even like the stakes of this movie feel so minute or feel so inconsequential like of Mm. course it's a freaking MacGuffin you know that is what is always applied to these kind of action adventure movies where they're after some fantastical lost treasure that of course the actual treasure is the journey that they go on that is mm. absent from this movie as well. Like there is this, there is the plot that they're trying to get this gold, and it's just gold. It's not like that's it. It's like it's not like oh, this is, and they try and create this backstory of like oh, it's Magellan's gold mm-hmm. and and that kind of thing. But ultimately, it's like there's nothing other than money. It's like yeah, cool. Mm. It's it's money. I guess it has a monetary there's value. Nothing- covetable about the treasure which i find like such a really minor misstep that like exacerbates most of my problems with this movie yet also the journey is motivated by 
um nathan drake's brother sam who's he's obviously his idol and mentor um who went through all this the same life experience as him who has gone missing sully might know more about him and some of the other people that are antagonizing them or cooperating with them on this adventure might know more about where sam is what his outcome was what's going on with sam and like you feel like maybe at points that we're going to find Sam along the way, but it's never clear enough either way in any kind of respect to actually bring on the motivation for us. Well, you're just like, Frick, I just want to see this guy. <laughs> yes. Find, find his brother. <laughs> you never quite get like any kind of like actual output of like any kind of actual output of where the motivation is going to or any kind of like building surge of what you're doing. The closest you ever really get is one of the lead antagonists of this film is played by a veteran of the swashbuckling genre, the Mask of Zorro's legendary star Antonio Banderas, one of my favorite actors of all time. And he... Like, I really, really love Antonio Banderas. Really, he's one of my favorite actors of all time. And I think he is... Antonio Banderas. (laughs) I think he is, like, the highlight of this movie because there are moments where he relishes, like, being the villain and, like, kind of playing, like, the, the... the angle of a manipulator and cunning and ruthless. And it is fun to see Antonio like that. But... It feels more akin to like the Billy Zane Phantom movie, like a like a kind of forgot forgettable villain from something like that, instead of like instead of it being something more in tune with Indiana Jones, where the villains are memorable, they have personal stakes, and there's even mm. a moment in this movie that I feel like speaks to for me the grimness of where we are with like big blockbuster movies like this where I feel like it harkens back to things that we see in Indiana Jones and like adventure films from the past where uh, Tom Holland and another character in this movie played by an actor I was at the time unfamiliar with. Sophia Ali, who plays the Chloe Fraser character, who I think is meant to be Australian, but um, uh, is played by an American actor doing sometimes an accent. I had no idea if they were Australian Man, or not at certain points. accent started British. Then it went Indian, then it went Scottish, then it kind of landed, I would say, mid-Tasman Sea between Mm. Australia and New Zealand. An uncharted world, a land that we've yet (laughs) to find. But um, there's a moment where there's always like the energy, like one's going to betray the other, but we never really believe like the danger of that. I think this is Mm. a movie that feels free of danger, which is so bad for this kind of film. But... But they are sharing some resort hotel room together. They're kind of in and out of bed together. It's kind of got that slow malaise of like, uh, has something gone on? But it's so sexless and so like free of any kind of raunch. Whereas Indiana Jones like, yeah, it's a sweaty scene. They've had sex with each other. And that builds up the danger of if they're going to betray each other or not. Because it's just so like sanitized and kitty where they're just like, no, no, we'll probably one of them sleeping on the couch or whatever. But there's no element of that horny there should be there. They they woke up in that bedroom and there was absolutely no doubt in my mind that there was like a pillow barrier between them they mm. probably slept top to toe like oh that'd only... be awesome if there's a top to toe <laughs> scene in a movie yeah. 
they could have just gotten a two bedroom apartment instead they thought they'd skimp on it and then they did top to toe um yeah i mean the only hint of sex in that is that for some reason the costume design has chosen to just show one bare shoulder of Chloe's. Mm. That's how she wears her robe. It's just like one shoulder on, one shoulder off yeah. over the course of two days. It's a conscious decision that this character makes. And again, it's just infuriating where you're, you're so distracted by these little choices that each of these characters make because you don't care about them as people because they're not fully fleshed out characters. And it's crazy because how many like Uncharted games are there? Like four? Yeah, I think there's, there's been... four, and, and then PSP portable games as well. Right? So there's like, there is like a whole backstory you can dwell. And, you know, the choice to make this actor struggle with an Australian accent is because, like, the original voice actor in the games was Australian. They've cast her to make her look like the original character who was Australian. So it's like, obviously, they want to be some kind of respectful to the original source material, but then it's also like, yeah, I just the only people I see enjoying this are people who did not play the games and don't have a high bar or are fans of Tom for adventure movies or are fans of Tom Holland. I mean, in terms of chemistry as well, and I think it's just a trend now with big blockbusters to make them completely sexless, I guess because they believe that'll make them more marketable mm. to a global audience. Like, think about how sexy, how deeply horny, and how wonderful the mummy was mm-hmm. like Rachel Weiss, Brendan Fraser, just like, oh, and it's sweaty Lord. and it's dirty. And it's, it's like funny. It's funny. It's joyful. It's silly as well. Like it's, it hits, it's such a high benchmark for adventure movies and it doesn't take itself so seriously, but you really root for these people and you really care about them. And the betrayals really feel real, even though it's this high kind of almost fantasy um, I, I just like, again, I was like, this is two hours mm. of just, of just moving. It's of blocking essentially. Yeah. It's just blocking. Man, it's the mummy is such a good film to bring up because once again, that's an adaptation of something from previous. It's like the old universal, uh, horror mummy movies, but then they completely refreshed it for that 1990s audience. And I like it retains so much of so much of the charm of that film, like you said, comes from like, comes from the sexiness of it. Every, there's someone for everyone in that. You got Brendan Fraser, classic doofy hunk, an absolute himbo of a character. And then you've got mm-hmm. Rachel Weisz, she's bookish. Then you got the John Hanna character who's like one for the nerds or like something a little bit exciting. Then you've mm-hmm. got the Omejali who is of course like a big funny comedian, big fat guy. There's something for everyone in that movie. This one, I can't imagine anyone walking away going like, God, I love that character. They just be like, oh God, I love Tom Holland in this movie. Or like, oh, Mark Wahlberg had some real funny lines in it i feel like mark Wahlberg. this is a criticism i never ever say because i feel like it's false especially when you talk about movie stars is it a slur it's gonna be a movie star slur <laughs> this guy's a hollywood huckhead okay dudes um th- no i feel like what i'm saying here is like especially when you talk about movie stars where people go oh they're just playing themselves and there's mm. It's. I feel like that rings false because it's a movie star persona, and you know people go to the movies to see their movie stars being their movie stars. And, and those th- images are largely crafted by other people early on in an actor's career. 
Exactly. And I feel like Mark Wahlberg in this movie truly is not embodying any character whatsoever. Like, Mm -mm. even his costume is just shit that I've seen Mark Wahlberg wear in, like, press photos and stuff. Like, there's no semblance in creating character. And I'm trying to divorce myself from someone who's played the games and likes the character of Sully from the games. Mm. But, like, because this character Sully in the games, he is mustachioed, he's older, he's grey, he wears, like, Hawaiian shirts and is kind of, like, that that vibe of a character who big smokes and chomps on big cigars very Mm. much in like that swarthy mentoring type role and then in this movie it's just mark Wahlberg doing protein shakes in the morning and like wearing getting up at 3am to pray or whatever the hell (laughs) um like and again i think it's a total valid read of this movie to divorce it from the source material Mm -hmm. right or to allow it to uh subvert the source material as we've seen but that can be done so well as we've seen in movies like the charlie's angels reboot around the 2000s right casting bill murray as bosley like that was a choice again that's just bill murray playing bill murray but Mm -hmm. It was a way that subverted the source material but also added a new dimension to it and relied Mm. purely on the charisma of a star. And then in the second Charlie's Angels uh, reboot directed by Mick G, they cast... uh, Bernie Mac, my favourite. I love him in that role. Exactly. And again, it's just Bernie Mac doing a Bernie Mac character. But it subverts the source material but also adds to it. And it's also allowing a comedic persona to play in the world that's already mm. been established over like decades, right? And I think it's just it's just again, this film just underestimates its audience. Mm. It underestimates the form. It I think it says to us like we don't believe that video games have anything to offer us other than valuable IP. Yeah. And no like kind of lessons in storytelling or emotional investment. Like I, I really do feel like this was adapted by people who don't like video games who never played them or think that people who play video games are truly idiots who don't like storytelling mm. or character development and it's just not true and it's weird as well because like it's from the same studio that gave us the last of us which is yeah. one of the best video games ever made one of the most incredible character driven storytelling games so then you go like well, why can't you why can't you bring that depth? Like, and I mm. think it truly is because the, whoever is adapting this just underestimates its audience, and it's it's infuriating. It's an absolute not what to do for a video game adaptation. And we'll ha- I'm very curious, and we'll have to wait to see until I think later in this year or next year to see how that Last of Us video game translation to an HBO miniseries will go. Mm. I'm very interested to see how that goes because I feel like because those are story-driven games, even more so than Uncharted, maybe there is more chance that they will... St- adapt those as if they were books rather than adapt them like they were video games i think that there's a problem with video game adaptations where there is too much to take from them like with books you're taking the plot and you're taking characters with video games because they are also a visual medium yet they are an interactive visual medium 
you have to adapt so much more or there is a pressure to adapt so much more. Like there's yeah. moments in this where it almost feels like a first person perspective, like a video game. And then I'm like, Uncharted's not a f- first person game. Why are they doing that? Then my yeah. mind clicked back to like, oh, when you open up the journal menu, of course it goes into oh my God. the eyes of Nathan that. Drake and oh stuff. Oh my God. I remember I was- that moment. I was like, oh my God, this is literally the opening a menu and clicking mm-hmm. on artifacts and reading. Yeah, and I was just like, any other thing, you don't have to adapt something crazy like that. But perhaps with a video game adaptation, you feel the pressure to go, well, we must try and adapt this set piece. We must put in this Easter egg from the game for gamers to unite in the cinema and charge their Coca-Cola glasses and popcorn at the screen, cheering hip hip hooray for Naughty Dog and for allowing the original voice actor of Nathan Drake to appear on a beach in one moment in this film film like oh i really God. feel like video games are almost too rich to be adapted successfully and i would say that this is probably in one of the best video game adaptations of all time and it's a fucking suck ass shit movie see <laughs> i hope that's the takeaway it's a suck ass shit movie i i mean i will say this right i agree with you on some level you also have like things like lord of the rings and that mm-hmm. whole mythology and the source material for that being like thousands and thousands of pages. Yeah. But I think the studio trusted Peter Jackson to have a singular vision and to edit the source material to present it in a um in a way that is coherent and works mm. for cinema. Um I think my hope with the HBO adaptation of Last of Us because HBO seems to be so driven by like auteur Mm. visions and singular visions again and you see it with like euphoria for better or for worse like there's no writer's room on that it's just sam levinson's Mm. adaptation of the israeli tv show and it works you know and i think when i said it earlier like this is such an example of corporate filmmaking at its absolute worst it's it's filmmaking by committee it just feels noted to death because you just nothing sinks in nothing is given enough time to sit in and really sit with you and resonate with you or make sense to you it just keeps barreling on the scenes are like under two minutes and there's millions Mm. of them it's mostly exposition up until i would say like an hour 12 like 15 in and you're just like it's because this has been made by committee Mm. it's because no one trusts any of the creative voices in this to make choices and that's why I feel like it's like a Tom Holland movie and a Mark Wahlberg movie because they haven't been given any time or any support to make actual choices about character. And I feel like the d- director probably didn't get any... I mean, this is just like from the outside anyway. Mm. But it's just like you look at these big things and you're like, oh God, like no one trusted anyone on this shoot. Yeah, I, I think that kind of is really what it comes down to is that this should be a fun movie there are moments that are fun but it's at a decent pace the movie rips by like it's two hour runtime but it also doesn't give you those moments to sit and feel like that wonder that adventure movies should also create where we're like where we're out in a world that we've never seen before and we're kind of coming to grips with visions that we'd only dreamed of and that's Mm. the way it should be for the characters as well 
and it never really captures that complete globe trotting vibe that we want from those and that we kind of yearn from the fantasy of what these movies should provide i think it's not a bad looking movie like it's it's shot by jong jong han who is a great uh korean cinematographer who has shot old boy handmaiden he has done the zombie land movies with the room of flies before but also uh uh it the horror movie with the scariest clown that's ever lived pennywise um <laughs> So he, I think he captures some of the elements that we need from these adventure films, but it never fully comes to grips in that genre satisfaction way. Um, and the one thing I keep coming back to is that just Mark Wahlberg is in this movie, just kind of sticking out like a sore thumb. I don't know if you remember this, but I feel like he is a relic from previous adaptations of this movie that never went anywhere. Ten years ago or more this film was in production uh, by with an adaptation coming from writer-director David O. Russell from I Heart Huckabees, oh The Fighter, um, uh, American Hustle, a director I really, really love. He's got a movie called Flirting with Disaster, which is one of my favorite comedies of all time. And I was always curious about what he was going to do with an action-adventure blockbuster because his films are not that. Like, they are exciting and strange, but they're not blockbusters. You say that, and it's like, it's it just, in my mind, I'm like, this would be the most unhinged mm-hmm. studio movie I'd ever seen. I'd probably love it. I was always so infinitely curious about that movie. It's like a lost oddity to me. I'm going to read you some stuff from an article from 2010 from IndieWire. These are quotes from David O. Russell. And this is what he always saw the movie to be. He said uh, it would be about Drake's extended family and put them in fraught globetrotting situations with some of the world's most influential people. This idea really turns me on that there's a family that's a force to be reckoned with in the world of international art and antiquities. A family that deals with heads of state and heads of museums and meets out justice. He elaborates further, we'll have the family dynamic that we've done in a couple of other movies, and then you take that and put it in a bigger, more muscular stage of an international action picture, and also put all the character stuff in. That's a really cool idea to me, he says. And that's interesting to me, because I always found that bizarre, because it felt like he'd just gone, I'm taking the idea of Nathan Drake, and then I'm going to make it into one of my movies with family stuff, and then I'm going to give a shot at making an action movie. Which kind of feels like the roundabout way that I feel like could perhaps lead to a successful video game adaptation. Um, And he was also going to cast like Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci, bring him out of retirement um, to be, I don't know, Nathan Drake's dad and brothers or something. That's so funny. Oh my God. Very unclear. But I feel like that's the only reason that Mark Wahlberg at all is in this movie was he'd been attached to it for like 10 years wow so he was a hangover from that david russell he was to play nathan drake 10 years ago oh okay sorry i didn't put that together right oh i mean maybe 10 years ago i mean maybe even now you know i I've got no idea. Even then, I was like, that was weird that he was going to play Nathan yeah. Drake. But I don't I know, mean, man. So like, I always found that in, interesting. You think about him in Boogie Nights, right? Wahlberg in Boogie Nights was great. It was weird, was strange, brought like a dimension, really short, like brought growth to that character. Mm. 
literally and figuratively. Ah, yes, uh, of course. We're talking um, about his beautiful penis in that movie. Beautiful schlong. Uh, anyway. <laughs> This this film is just uh, I can't say I was excited to see it, yet it still felt like a disappointment or a missed opportunity. I don't know where I come down on this movie is it's not like hot the worst garbage of all time, but that's kind of why I feel like it's more insulting or upsetting because you know it's a movie made for millions and millions and squillions of dollars with what was huge it, 160 talent 160 million or something Mo- like that? I reckon that's the kind of budget we're looking at 120 160 million with this kind of movie and we should be demanding more from our t- entertainment when we're like when people are getting paid that much money to make a movie or there's that much money being put into a movie uh, we should be demanding more from our entertainment and it's for mm-hmm. me not just it's not okay for a movie to be just okay um, I want it to be exciting. I want to be riveted. I want to be turned on and flipped off. I want to feel stuff when I'm watching movies. And I felt freaking squat watching this. I got more mm. from the bottle of water that I was drinking while watching this film. You're so right. It's so inoffensive that it's offensive. Mm. I love shit movies. I love bad video game movies. I love movies that take big swings and miss. And this took no big swings at all. It didn't even let anyone it pick up the bat. Like, you know, like it wasn't even yeah. in the fucking stadium. It They're absolutely whiffed. It yeah. whiffed. Fricka, what are you giving this film out of five stars? I'm going to say two stars for me. Generous. I was going to say one and a half, but there is one two-minute sequence of that falling out of the plane that genuinely was thrilling, but two minutes out of two hours does not a good film make. Yeah, I think I'm close to you. I'm actually going to go one and a half stars on this one. Fricka, <laughs> you and I have got a brand new podcast that we're making for Netflix Australia and New Zealand. Uh, it is called Lived It. And I'm so excited about this show. We're having so much fun making it. Uh, what do we do on the show? Oh, man. It's it's a bit of a different one for both of us, which I think is mm. why it's so exciting. Basically, we take uh, you know new releases that are out on Netflix and we find real-life people who've actually been through what these new list, uh, these movies are about. Um, so, so far we've talked to <laughs> a scam artist, uh, maybe not on the level of like Anna Delvey, but still a scam artist. Uh, we've got some exciting episodes uh, coming up with involving spies and, and things like that. So I'm really excited um, to be doing it. And of course, doing it with you, my, my bestie, Alexi. Yeah, there's one episode coming out tomorrow, in fact, that I'm really excited to see. Uh, where we had to talk about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre legacy sequel that's coming out. One of the most gruesome movies I've seen in quite some time. You don't like horror movies. I couldn't imagine you watching it. So what we did Mm. instead was we got a psychotherapist to talk you through uh, with strategies on how to watch a horror movie when you're a scaredy cat, which I am very excited to hear that episode with everyone uh, because it was so much fun to make. Uh, But that's Lived It. It is a podcast hosted by us. I'll put the links in the show notes so you can click on right through to it. Um, In the meantime, everybody enjoy the movies and keep watching films, keep watching cinema and worshipping it wherever you are. And later on this week, the next episode coming out is about... Being John Malkovich, the American Surrealist classic from Charlie Kaufman and Spike Jones. I'm going to be joined by Jared McGugan from The Mug Off. <laughs>